Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Each week we delve deep with some of the brightest and most forward thinking, out-of-the-box minds in health, consciousness, mindset, and spirituality. This show inspires our listeners to improve their body and mind, and our intention is to fuse and lock the conscious warrior and shift the balance in the current paradigm. culture of ours uh, the last hundred years, we've just learned to devalue dreams. So, so dreams are kind of this platform for the exchange of information and energy. Most of the time it's just ourself, but some of the time it goes deeper, more broader to the larger self, and then even further to kind of mass consciousness. Because when you look at ancient cultures, they really uh, put dreams and dream interpretation up on a pedestal. That's, that's the beautiful thing about dreaming. When you start to reflect on dreaming, it, it makes you question some very basic assumptions about the yeah. nature of reality, about the nature of perception, about the nature of what, what, what this is all about. People think of dreams as being unreal, but, but there's a lot of scientific and literature and artistic and engineering advances that, that occurred because of this uh, dream reality. In Egypt, there were societies of the night. I mean, people, priests, who basically stayed in darkness all the time. They were societies of the night. Hey, what's up everyone? In this episode of the Sen Podcast, we're joined by Robert Wagner to talk about the dream state. This was such a really fascinating conversation and me and Chris have both been wanting to delve into this important topic for a while now. And dreams have always been something that I've tried to wrap my head around. And I really do find them so fascinating. However, all through my life, I've always encountered so many conversations with people where they'll tell us about a dream that they've had. And they don't really question what it is. And they'll just shrug it off as if it was nothing. It's just a dream, that's what they'll say. And then I always reply and I'll say, oh, is it just a dream? But I think a lot of people are just so quick to just dismiss a dream because they think that this reality is different, but maybe it's not. How do we really know that we're not sleeping right now? This is an interesting angle to think about, and the beauty is we really don't know anything. So within this podcast, we covered everything from what dreams are, do they hold any significant meaning to us, We talked about the cultural implications and why maybe many people don't even question the dream state. We touched on the correlation between DMT and dreams. We discussed the nature of reality. And we even talked about the ancient civilizations and why they paid so much attention to the dream state. Anyway, this is a packed conversation and really even made me think even more about the dream state. And Robert will definitely be coming back onto the podcast very soon. As throughout this podcast, there were so many different spins and angles we could have took this conversation, and there were so many other questions I wanted to ask him. So we'll definitely cover some more of them on the next instalment with Robert. But just before we jump with this podcast, I'd just like to say thank you so much for all the kind messages in regards to the last episode we've done on the scenes of life mindset, and all the other scenes of life as well episodes we've done so far. We're so glad that all them episodes are really resonating with so many people and we really look forward to doing more of these other episodes in the future.
So also, please don't forget to leave a review of the podcast and just let us know what you think. So anyway, without further ado, Robert Wagner. Hello there, Robert. Hi, Dan. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Good, good. Yeah, cool. Well, I'd just like to say welcome onto the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've both been like really looking forward to this one, haven't we? Oh, yeah. And um, dreams have always been something that's like we've both tried to wrap our head around, and I, I really do find them like so fascinating. However, um, I've encountered like many conversations with like so many people where they'll like talk about a dream and they'll just like they'll not really question what it is and they'll just like shrug it off as it was nothing. That they'll say like they'll say things like it's just a dream, and then I'll always say like, oh, is it just a dream? But um, I know as well that you've probably encountered like the same conversation as well on probably like many occasions. You know, it seems like in this culture of ours, uh, the last hundred years, we've just learned to devalue dreams. Because yeah. when you look at ancient cultures, they really uh, put dreams and dream interpretation up on a pedestal. But in this current culture, we devalue dreaming. So, you know, I don't know if it's because of Freud and kind of talking about dreams being kind of day residue and wish fulfillment and all that kind of thing or there's been more recent scientists who have said that oh dreams are just the junk of the mind or, <laughs> or the mind on psychosis so 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 i really think that as a culture we've really devalued dreams we don't investigate it we don't recall it people are busy and and so it's really kind of lost its status in society yeah, I agree. I think as well, sometimes I think about as well, I think a lot of people are just quick to dismiss dismiss a dream because they think that this reality is different. But like, I was thinking maybe it's not like, how do we even know that we're really like not sleeping right now? I know that's going quite deep, but I've, yeah, I've been actually thinking about that, like questioning my head for quite some time. And I mean, that's been a huge thought process in my head, sorry. And like, we really don't know. Exactly. There's a great story uh, by... Uh a Taoist uh, uh, dream master, uh, Zhuangzi, who, who from China, and he was the one who uh, wrote a story about one night he dreamt that he was a butterfly, uh, and oh. and he flew around and did this, that, and the other, and everything he saw from the viewpoint of a butterfly. But in the morning when he awoke, he wondered, is he a Dreaming of Zhang Zi? Uh, is, is his real identity a butterfly and, and he's dreaming of Zhuangzi or, or something else? So, so uh, it, it does make you wonder, you know, when you start to get into dreams and especially uh, someone like myself who gets into lucid dreaming where you become consciously aware in a dream, th- then that old adds a whole new layer to the whole viewpoint of how is dreams different from reality and is dreaming just a different type of reality and could we be dreaming now? Wow. Well, yeah. I think I think this is exactly what the podcast is all about, like going deep straight away, like no messing about. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, something I'd love to know your thoughts on is like, what do you think dreams are? So, so you know, I, I've been paying attention to my dreams ever since I was a little kid, and, and I've had dreams just all over the place, so all, all types of dreams you can imagine. But but when I really sit down and think about it, I, I think the best way of talking about it is that dreams are kind of like a, a platform or a stage. And this on this inner stage or platform is where there's an exchange of information. There's an exchange of energy. 
and and if you ask me where that information and energy come from, um, sometimes it's various layers of the self talking to itself, and, and so your emotional self needs to talk to your body self, you know, so they can work things out and, and get on the same page, and, and so they use dreaming as a platform or a stage for that to happen. But but all the layers of the self do this, and then if you want to take it further. It seems like when you get deeper into dreaming, you see that there's a larger awareness, that you're actually in contact with a larger awareness that, that uh, understands you, kind of the self with a capital S, as, as Carl Jung might say. And, and it gives you advice on occasion and, and that kind of thing, if you're smart enough to pay attention to it. And, and finally, I think there's a level of dreaming that's really kind of like um, – almost a universal mind where uh, where we have dreams that are about the whole organism, the, the whole everything, all the aliveness. And, and sometimes you see that in, in dreams that occurred uh, like before 9-1-1. Before 9-1-1, all sorts of people were having dreams about some horrific event. And uh, it, it was interesting to see that it was around the world. It was, so it was kind of like a universal mind. So, so dreams are kind of this platform for the exchange of information and energy. Most of the time, it's just ourself, but some of the time it goes deeper, more broader to the larger self, and then even further to kind of the mass consciousness. Wow, that's amazing. Well, um, I think it is fascinating. It's like when we, Robert, when we really do look at dreams and really do think about them and what dreams are. And I really think there's also this beauty to the dream, and that is the unknown. And like, there is a beauty like to chase the unknown of the dream as well. Exactly, and I think that's the thing that captures people who are into dreams. You know, if you have a precognitive dream, or if you have a clairvoyant dream, or if you have a dream visitation where someone who's deceased shows up in your dream and gives you some information that later you can verify, there's kind of that beauty in the unknown, the mystery of dreams, like. How is this happening? How can this be? And that's what I think really captures a lot of people's interest in dreaming. Yeah, definitely it is. There's, there is a, some, there's a amazing beauty to it as well that I really don't understand, but I think it is. It's so interesting Like when we do think about it. And even if you think about the correlation between our current reality, current reality that we even perceive and, and dreams as well, and I think in a way, a way as well, sometimes I like to think about, and I try to wrap my head around it, but I like to first like come from the perspective and first try and think and understand that everything's just an experience and I think I really do feel like these experiences are what make up our existence as well in a way and I really feel like maybe maybe if you think about maybe both our reality and dreams are maybe or maybe nothing more than experiences that our conscious is having maybe I don't know it's interesting to think about yeah yeah no there's uh, there's the phenomenologist uh, Husserl and all and, and the phenomenologist basically took the viewpoint that they just went to the thing itself and so waking experience is an experience the dream is an experience. And how are they different? Well, they might differ on some levels, but they're both experienced realities. And so that's the beautiful thing about dreaming. When you start to reflect on dreaming, it makes you question some very basic assumptions about the yeah. nature of reality, about the nature of perception, about the nature of what, what, what this is all about. So, so I think that's a good point. It's all experience. But one experience we pay attention to, and the other experience we immediately forget, uh, most of us, and go on our way. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think as well, I really feel that when I thought about this, I think the only difference between like this reality and, and dream experiences, sometimes people think it's just about it's about the amount of time that we're actually of like being consciously having them. That's what people think about. But I think we only call our normal like waking life reality because we've consciously spent most of our time there. And I really feel we only think and we call like our waking life reality because we call our reality real. Like we perceive our dreams as not. But like if you think about when I, I thought about this, like what's real like i know that's going deep but how can we really define what's real you know what i mean you, you know it's 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 a wonderful point because when you start to read about the history of dreaming you see that there's a lot of discoveries scientific discoveries that occurred in dreams and there's a lot of literary works and musical works like paul mccartney he he woke up one night because he was hearing in his mind the music to yesterday and, and he jumped out of bed and he ran to a piano and he started playing the music down so he wouldn't forget and, and, and during the day he would ask all his friends, he'd play the music for him and he'd say, whose music is this? and they'd go, it's your music, we, we've never heard this before and, and finally they, he put some words to it and, and out came the you know, song Yesterday but that music came to him in a dream there's stories books like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that came in a dream to Robert Louis Stevenson. Frankenstein came to Mary Bichelli in a dream. But then there's works of science, like the uh, Mendeleev and his chemical or his table of periodic elements. I think that's what they call it. Uh, came came to him in a dream. He he said he had to just make a couple minor changes. Well, uh, there's a Nobel Prize winner, uh, Nobel Prize winner uh, Otto Louis. Uh, he, he figured out the chemical transmission of nerve impulses and, and won the Nobel Prize for it. But he said it occurred to him in a dream. He figured it out. And when he accepted the Nobel Prize, he just encouraged everyone to pay attention to their dreams. And, and so, so that's the interesting thing is, you know, and people think of dreams as being unreal, but but there's a lot of scientific and literature and artistic and uh, engineering advances that occurred because of this uh, dream reality. Yeah, I think all of them are like brilliant um, examples of us unlocking our creative consciousness, really. And I think that's something that's fascinating is like how we are dreaming right now. Like we have no idea the experience we're having during the dream. Like we're not sure if it isn't like quote unquote real. Like these people have like made their like life out of like a dream. And I think that's fascinating. And because something else I actually think, Robert, is like these people, like through this dream, like a lot of us right now don't even know if we're in a like a real dream, and it's only until we like really wake up. Whereas like these guys have like woken up and waking up and really use that dream as the whole experience. That experience then becomes life. That's fascinating. Right. And I think I think that when we realise we're just having a dream, like it, we just brush it off, like we've been saying, but. They don't like they understand the power of dreams and like like there is some significance in why we're actually dreaming. Oh yeah, you, you know that's the interesting thing. So so think about this. Every night, all of us dream about two hours. Some of us a little bit more, and and that basically means ten percent of the twenty-four hour day, you're basically in the dream state. Or after eleven years of living. One entire year has been spent in the dream state, and after 
70, what what would that be, 77 years of living, seven years of that has been in a dream. And and so if if dreams are so important and such a fundamentally uh, integrated part of our life experience, why is it that we ignore them and devalue them so much? And and why is it that science kind of goes along with that and just, for the most part, completely uh, or largely ignores uh, dreams and dream work? It it, it would really seem like this might be the missing piece that, that everyone's ignored for, for the last couple hundred years, and, and it really, really might be where the greatest uh, benefit might be found if we finally started to look into it. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I think as well, in like, I think as well in comparison we make and our like the comparison that we make in our minds as well. I think we talk about like the way we talk about normal life versus dreams. It's it's such an interesting one because say I think as well with like the thinking that of like we talked about before thinking that the reality is real like we're associating real with like this existence but only because we in a way we think that we spent most of our time in there and it's probably only because we're in a way we remember more of our waking life than we do like in our dreams but I think in a way it, I thought about this to say that like our reality is real like with just the evidence of time it probably isn't enough enough to justify that like justify it's real like a, a real existence but it's it's just more of a familiar one maybe yeah exactly it, it, it might be the one that we're most familiar with and therefore it seems the most real but but it's, it's really a fascinating thing and it's also that something that people who get deeply into dreams and if you ever have a precognitive or clairvoyant dream and get information that you later verify then it really just makes you wonder what what's going on here because yeah. because it it just it just calls into question too many aspects of linear time, linear space, and all these basic assumptions that we kind of have about the physical universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the meaning of dreams, Robert. Like it's got to be one of the most fascinating top topics of discussions, like around the world. <laughs> and like it, it, it certainly is. And and like the answer to the question, like where do dreams come from? It like all really does depend on who you ask, really. Like. I know some people believe like dreams are just like a byproduct of the brainwave activity and that some some even don't view any psychological significance meaning at all. But some argue that our dreams are a reflection of our deepest desires and like other people believe that dreams connect us to a higher source. There's so many different aspects of it and different variables. And even people have been so fascinated by dreams for like thousands of years and cultures around the world like they've developed their own traditions to interpret dreams. It's so fascinating. Like, where do you think like the dreams come from? Yeah, so, so uh, it it really is interesting because I remember William Dement was a famous uh, dream researcher um, out in California, and, and so uh, he, he was one of the first people who worked on rapid eye movement when they realized that rapid eye movement uh, indicated that the person was dreaming and in the dream state. And even as a psychiatrist and a scientist and a very objective observer, one morning, one day he woke up from a dream, and in the dream he dreamt that he was at his medical doctor's, and the medical doctor was looking at x-rays of his, and then he walked over to look at him too because he had been trained in medicine, and he saw that his lungs were full of lung cancer. And he says he remembers thinking, oh, my God, I'll never watch my children grow up. Uh, I'll never, you know, see them get married. Uh, I'll never have grandkids. And he just felt so crestfallen. And then suddenly he woke up and he said from that moment on, he quit cold turkey. 
you know, he, even though he, he was a scientist, you know, and dreams might be random uh, neurons firing in the brain at night or whatever, he, he realized that this dream was basically showing him that if he kept smoking, he was probably going to die of lung cancer and is really powerful. And, and so when you think of something like that, it makes you wonder, you know, is, is there a larger awareness that was basically showing him if you continue down this path, this is likely what's going to happen to you and and trying to give him information in advance or, or was it just random as as various scientists say was it just random neurons firing in the brain but it, it really gets to this issue of do dreams have any meaning at all and, and when you look at a dream like this you see how powerful it was for him it was life-changing it was life-altering and you basically have to decide or to go with the basic view that some dreams obviously have meaning. Maybe not every dream, but obviously some dreams definitely have meaning and change lives. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, yeah, like it's so interesting the discussion of how do dreams hold any significant meaning to us? And I think if we look through all, all of history, that question is like is always being asked. And I think like in many cases, like Robert, in order to look forward, we must always connect the dots looking backwards. Oh, exactly. So, like, exactly. Oh, yeah. And so let's go back, Robert. Like, how do you think like dreams played a part in our human evolution? You, you know, it's it's interesting uh, when you start to look into history. Um, like, for example, um, about two hundred years before the birth of Christ, and for about a hundred years afterwards, there was in the Greek Roman Greek area um, these temples to Asclepius. And Asclepius was kind of a semi-divine, semi-human, uh, godlike figure who who was the the god of healing. And and so what they did that they had built like 300 temples to Asclepius around the Mediterranean area. And basically, what happened was people who had ailments and diseases would come to these temples of Asclepius, and there they would go to have a dream. And in the dream, oftentimes Asclepius would come and just directly heal them, or sometimes one of his eight daughters would come. And like one of his daughters was Panacea, one of his daughters was Hygiene or Hygiena, and sometimes his daughters would, would tell the person, oh, you must stop drinking from that stream, only drink from this lake over here. You know, and, and would, was basically giving the person advice that your ailment was due, you know, to your water source, and so quit going there. But but in these temples of Asclepius, they would carve the healings onto the limestone. You know, the various people like, you know, I was blind in one eye. I came to the temple of Asclepius. I slept. Asclepius appeared to me. He put his hand on my eye and told me I'd be able to see. And when I woke up, I could see. And, and so you could see this Temple of Asclepius w was hugely popular and had incredible successes. And there, there's some wonderful books on just this one temple alone. Wow. And, and for, for it, it's just utterly amazing. And, and it's also interesting, too, that, uh, you know, some of these New Testament stories of Jesus, I think there's one where there is a person by a well who wanted to be healed. And, and I, I happened to be in Jerusalem, and I, I walked by that well, and I realized, oh, right next to this well is the temple of Asclepius. 
that, that they were digging up and, and, or es- excavating. They're doing some archaeological work on, and and that's why the that's why this uh, you know injured person was sitting by that well. He had actually come to the temple of Asclepius, and, and then Jesus happened to walk by. But but anyway, that, so that's just one example of how it was used in ancient times. In Egypt, th- there were societies of the night. I mean, people, priests, who basically stayed in darkness all the time. They were societies of the night. And it's amazing. They must have had incredible knowledge about, you know, the unconscious realm of the night, you know, dreams and all that sort of thing. And so you can see in these other societies and, and of course, in indigenous, like Native American and shamanic societies, dreams had an incredible incredible important role in fact in america there the native american tribes on the east coast um, near present-day delaware and in these tribes the way they would select the chief is by dreams whenever like if the chief had died and they needed a new chief they wouldn't have a vote they everyone in the tribe would dream who the new chief leader should be and, wow. so, and so instead of having a democracy, they had a dreamocracy that they they just relied on the power of the unconscious mind to inform the tribe of who the next leader should be. And, and so you can see that other societies took a whole different approach to dreams and, and really used them in ways that, that we've totally forgotten about. Yeah, I was going to say that, that last example there, Robert. That's probably the better uh, we at a structured society than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think America could dream up some better leaders than than, than the ones we'll have to vote for in November. So anyway, but but it's it's interesting. It's it just shows that they had a whole different concept about dreams, and they used them for practical matters. And, and dreams dreams were not just the fluff of the mind. Dreams were important. Oh, definitely. And it is so fascinating, like how these dreams have shaped the world through ancient cultures. Like the ancient Greeks, like Robert, they had like a deep understanding of dreaming. Like Aristotle, like he argued that meaningless dreams are a result of like one's physical and mental state, like caused by fears, desires, and even poor digestion. And like meaningful dreams, on the other hand, are thought to be dreams that predict one's future. Like it's like it's so fascinating. Like another civilization I came across thought that. Thought that the gods sent us dreams and that nightmares were sent through demons and that through dreams these are the only way to talk to the gods and like um, I know as well like another interesting culture who thought dreams were the foundations like for the entire existence and creating of the universe was like the Australian Aborigines right and like it's so fascinating like and something else which I found out which was incredible was the like the Mayans and I know that in general like they were a fascinating culture like their prophecies like offer either a reverse image of the future, like they're looking at future events of what's to come. And I know, like the Greeks, like they had like dream interpreters, right. like they they were known as deer keepers. Right, right. Um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, uh, what's your understanding of like the deer keepers and like these dream keepers? That these, like, why did they hold such like high regard for these? Like, uh, they, they, these were like held in like really high positions in like the, these ancient cultures. You, you know, it it and it goes back to this whole issue of. Of getting unconscious information, getting insight by virtue of dreams. I, I was at the uh, International Association for the Study of Dreams conference, and, and they they had uh, a woman speaker who was from South America, and 
and they have a tradition down there. They call it, call it vegetalis, uh, which is people who use herbs and, and, and things from the earth for healing. But she said in, in their society, dreams were the fundamental way or were one of the fundamental ways they learned about how to use healing for plants or which plants would heal what disease. And then when you start to look at anthropological reports of visiting uh, tribes in Amazon and places like that, all of them say, you know, when they ask him, well, how did you figure out that this plant would heal that disease? And, and they would say, oh, we dreamt it. Or sometimes in an ayahuasca ceremony, they would get information about what plants would heal. But but it, it really makes you wonder, you know, uh, aspirin, I think, comes from the bark of a willow, what was the original uh, source of aspirin. And, and and it's hard to imagine, you know, some native person just sitting there trying, you know, 500 different plants to see which one, you know, would stop somebody's headache. It, but it, it makes much more sense to think that somehow – in a dream, unconsciously or at some deeper level, some what might be a mystical level, that they actually got the information. And, and so that's why I think that, that the Greeks, the Mayans, the Australians in their dream time, they all kind of revered dreaming because they realized that it was a source of new information. It was oftentimes, for them, a source of future information, you know, about what tribes might be coming to wage war on them or, or, or what was going on in the world. And, and so they saw it in a whole different manner than we do. Yeah, definitely. Robert, there when you said about the ancient uh, cultures as well, like getting the message sent to them, like they always, if you look back through all the ancient scriptures, like these ancient cultures are always talked about, like what you said there about, they didn't just like happen and just stumble across them one day. They actually like, they talk about how like the gods, like they use the, like the word gods, but they say that the gods actually taught them about things like this, and I think that's so fascinating, it ties into what you said as well. I, I was reading an interesting piece of history, uh, um, back in the 1500s in Paris, France, uh, the, the Huguenots and the Catholics were kind of at odds all the time, and it was really a, a bad time for them, but, but one time... Uh, the Catholics in, in Paris, the, the royalty kind of invited the Huguenots up from southern France to come to this important wedding. And it and what happened after the wedding, when the Protestants came out of the church, they massacred them all. And I think it was called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. But but uh, uh, the, the woman, uh, Marguerite de Valois, who, who I believe was the one being married, uh, she, she ran into the castle and found her mother. And her mother had already prepared a hiding place for her. And, and she asked her mother, how did you do this all in advance? And her mother mm -hmm. said, anyone who pays attention to their dreams knows what of significance is going to occur. And she said, I paid attention to my dreams and I knew this was going to happen. And, and so she hid Marguerite de Valois and she lived through the you know, turmoil that was happening. But but you'll oftentimes read about uh, various people getting this kind of information. And, and there's also some historic examples of the rulers uh, misinterpreting the information. And, and when they misinterpret it, you know, oftentimes it will lead to total disaster. And so that's yeah. why I think this kind of issue of dream interpretation became such a fundamental thing. But But it's amazing that these ancient cultures and, and even some present-day cultures view dreams in 
a very important practical sense and derive a lot of value from it. Yeah, definitely. It is. It is. It's so fascinating when we do go back in time and you start seeing and understanding the dreams. Like they've always fascinated these many different cultures. Like even throughout time, and I think people people have been studying like dreams. If you think about it, as far back as we have ancient records, really. And I mean, I know before as well we mentioned a lot of these like different like civilizations that did give so much attention to dreams, like the records. We talked about the Mayans, even the Egyptians, but in the Chinese even as well. But they've all like been researching like the dream states throughout history, and I think it's so fascinating. But something as well that I want to touch on with you, Robert, and I find so interesting is like the, these ancient civilizations like given so much attention to dreams, and they did as well. But like I was wondering, like why do you think that these like ancient civilizations give like the subject of dreams so much attention? And it's, it's probably an argument as well that it was more than we do now. Oh, yeah. And so you have to think about it. You know, we've had a television since, I don't know, 1955 or something. And and so so before there was television, you know, what words there? I mean, there was interacting with people. Uh, I guess there is radio, you know, since whatever the early 1900s. But but before that, you just keep going back further and further in time. And people, you know, were kind of isolated. They were in their own tribe, in their own city. Uh, they didn't get information from other places. And, and so I think they really paid attention to their dreams more so. And, and then the other thing that's interesting, uh, m- my wife and I, about 15 years ago, we took a float trip down the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River. And, and, and so they tell you there's no reason to bring your cell phone or smartphone or anything because you can't get cell reception down there. And, and after three or four days of being in nature the entire time, sleeping out under the stars like we did, I I began to have just incredibly vivid dreams. And and I'm starting to think that that these ancient people and people even two, three hundred years ago, dreams were much more vivid because they lived in a much more natural environment. I mean, you know, there's no TV, there's no radio, there's none of that kind of stuff, but they did have, you know, their unconscious mind. And it's amazing if you just get away from modern reality and, and go backpacking for a week or whatever and start to pay attention to your dreams. I, I think you'll see that they intensify in energy and, and vibrancy, you, you know, by a factor of 10 or something. It, it's truly amazing. So, so I think that's another reason why ancient people picked it up. We've, we've changed our lives so much that, that our dream life is just different than what it was two or three hundred years ago yeah robert it's, it's so interesting like you said our dream life is so different and i was actually going to say that as well before because i think when you're talking about tv there is there is so many like distractions like from the tv radio even like social media and stuff like that but i was thinking as well that all them like uh, media platforms probably is in a way zap our way like zap, uh, zap our uh, potential to dream well i, I don't know all of us dream every night, and so about 23% of the night is spent in dreams. And so, so the potential is there. I just think that our awareness um, isn't up to what it used to be, or maybe the the vibrancy isn't there. But but it it, it really is uh, interesting, and it's also interesting how our dreams have adapted. I remember re- reading a book by. Uh, uh, Mark Twain, uh, who is the American humorist Mark Twain, and, and he wrote uh, an article. He called it mental telegraphy. 
And so you, you have to remember, you know, back in the 1860s and whatever, you know, they used to telegraph quite a bit uh, to, to send information around. And, and so he, he said he realized that mental telegraphy exists because sometimes uh, people would have a dream, like during the Civil War, someone would have a dream and their son, who was off in the Civil War, would appear in the dream and say, Mother, I'm so sorry to tell you I've been shot and I've lost my left leg or something. And then two days later, they'd get a telegraph you know, from their son on the front line saying, you know, I'm so sorry, I've been shot and I've lost my left leg and I'm recuperating in a hospital. But he called it mental telegraphy. And you also notice in current cases, situations where people would pay attention to their dreams. Oftentimes in a dream when you get a phone call, it, it's really amazing. Oftentimes these phone calls are from people who have passed over or sometimes they're, they're kind of future information. At least that's what a lot of people have found in, in these kind of things. And, and now you have uh, people dreaming about their computers or getting a text message and things. And, and so our, our dreaming mind kind of adapts to the changing technology but, but it's, it's interesting uh, uh, how it uses the symbols of modern technology to kind of adapt. Yeah, definitely. Before as well, Robert, when you were touch, when you touched on about when you said you were um, a wee in a different country, and the, and you were like a wee in more of nature, like environment. Right. I wanted I want to touch on this with you because as well, not like obviously for me, not being like in a more nature environment, but something that I experienced was um, before I went to bed, I did like. I did about an hour's worth of yoga, which seems like quite a lot for a lot of people. But actually, by doing that practice for an hour, I felt that, that my dreams were a lot more clearer. And I was just wondering, like, did, I, I, know, I don't know if there is any research on it, but I was wondering, like, do you know any research in that area where they've, like, incorporated, like, some sort of form of, like, natural movement or yoga before, like, as a practice, like, in um, tapping into deeper dreams? Right. You, you know, individuals have reported just exactly what you're saying. I don't think there's been any research on it yet. Um, yeah. I do know that in certain, you know, uh, Eastern traditions, uh, they highly recommend that people wake up at four in the morning and meditate. And then oftentimes uh, in modern lucid dream science, they have the wake back to bed technique, which basically encourages you to wake up about 90 minutes before you normally do and stay up for 30 minutes, and then you're much more likely to have a lucid dream after that. But but the people who report waking up and meditating, you know, at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, sometimes they go back to sleep and have powerful lucid dreams or, or have incredible uh, uh, circumstances. So, so so I think you're right, uh, Dan, that, that if you meditate before going to sleep and kind of clear your mind, yeah. it, it can really change things. Um, my friend Ed Kellogg, uh, he, he told me something that he would do if he was – going to do some dream experimenting in the night. He said that before he'd go to sleep, he'd try to picture the entire day well, on a on like a chalkboard, you know, like a chalkboard you'd have at school or a blackboard. And then he said in his mind's eye, he would go and en- erase the entire day, just make it all go away, make all that day residue stuff just disappear. And he said oftentimes when he'd do this before sleep, you know, it, it kind of had the same effect that your uh, meditating before sleep did, that, that it, it made uh, the, the issues of the day that they've just been obliterated by quieting his mind, by making them disappear. And, and he was able to go ahead with his dream experiments and, and have a lot of success. 
so so I so I think doing things like that, meditating before you go to sleep, or meditating at four o'clock in the morning when you spontaneously wake, it is a wonderful way to kind of see how by changing our mind we can change our dreams. Yeah, that's cool. Thank thank you for early clarifying that because that has been a big like part of my thought process, but. I thought that the information you gave there was brilliant, so thank you for that. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Robert, um, just to go back to all the, um, about the ancient cultures and that, like you said before, like they do have like this just what one thing in common, and like they all understood the importance of dreams, and they all felt that dreams could give us a deeper understanding of who we are and what our potential is. But it makes us wonder, like. How will future civilizations interpret our dreams? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think, um, I think modern science, this, this last 200 years, they've gone so deeply into exploring the outside world that finally they're going to be forced, if they want to truly figure out things, to in- explore the inside world. And so finally, one part of the inside world that just receives no attention, again, is dreams. And so I think here in the next 20, 30 years, they'll finally change methods and begin to explore dreams. And uh, it might be really the last piece of the puzzle. And and so I think future civilizations will kind of uh, maybe look at at the current age as as kind of the – uh, darkness before the light, but before they finally figured out what dreams were all about and, and how it connects us to, to maybe uh, a collective unconscious, uh, a larger self, you know, some of these ideas that Carl Jung came up with. And so uh, ho- hopefully uh, future civilizations will be kind to us and, and, and realize that we were just uh, clicking around in the dark trying to fi- <laughs> figure out where we were and that finally we figured it out here at the start of the 21st century. Yeah, I like that. I like it. Before as well, Robert, when you uh, talked, you touched on there about you said about exploring the inside. Something as well I wanted to uh, bring up as well, which I found found so fascinating. And I know as well, I think it was in I think it's in ancient India they talked about it, but in I think it was in Hindu scriptures that suggested that like when we sleep, the the soul leaves the body to travel through like time and space. But I was wondering, I don't know if you've done any research on that, but I was thinking maybe like if a dream is an experience that happens outside of our reality, let's say. Maybe like the soul like could be having an experience while we're sleeping. You know, it's it's interesting um, when you look at some of these other viewpoints, like like the Indian viewpoint about dreams and also dreamless sleep, and and they have their own practice uh, called yoga nidra, uh, the the yoga of the night. Uh, the, they also explored uh, dreaming and the various levels of self much differently. Uh, than we did, and, and so so oftentimes uh, you, you're right that they would say that the soul, or, or possibly that they might call it the Atman, um, is having their own experiences uh, during the sleep state, and, and might be connecting us with the source uh, of all experience, and, and so 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 yeah, the, these other viewpoints are, are quite fascinating, and even when you look at H- ancient Egypt again, not not Egypt, uh, Greece, in Greece. They had 23 different words that connect to what we would call soul or spirit. They have 23 different words for it. And the reason they have so many words for it, it's just that they were so fascinated by the different aspects of the soul or the spirit that they felt like they were interacting with and sometimes in dreams. And so whether it's India or Greece or wherever, 
dreams do seem to give us insight that there might be a larger awareness or that there probably is a larger awareness. And whether we call it the soul or the spirit or the Atman or whatever, it, it exists and, and, uh, yeah. and it's different than the waking ego self. Yeah, definitely it is. It is so fascinating how like dreams, like if you think about how dreams does correlate the soul, and I think the beauty is that all these ancient civilizations were trying to tap into that potential. But I was thinking as well, like I mean, even just imagine if the soul was leaving the body, like would that experience not be a dream? Like for instance, like how do we even know that we're not sleeping right now? You know what I mean? But <laughs> you, I mean, you, you got You have a good point, Dan. Because I'll tell you, um, I taught myself how to lucid dream. Um, when I was like 16, 17 years old. But about this, and so a lucid dream is a dream in which you realize within a dream that you're dreaming. So, mm-hmm. so you might see a dinosaur and think, wait a second, dinosaurs are extinct. Oh, this is a dream. And then suddenly you're lucidly aware. But at the same time, I found um, that I was having these other strange experiences. And so I'd be falling asleep. I start to hear this kind of humming or buzzing around my head or kind of feel it around my body. And, and, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, what, what, what's going on here? This is, this is really weird. And then suddenly I would be able to view my bedroom from like five or six feet above my bed. And I'm thinking, wow. how, how am I doing this? You know, this, this is weird. And, and so, so I, I was fortunate. Uh, I, I had five or four older brothers. And one day I just happened to ask one of my older brothers if he'd ever had this weird experience with all this humming and buzzing and, and floating above the bed. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're, you're having out-of-body experiences. And I go, really? And what's that? And he showed me a book by Robert Monroe called Journeys Out of the Body, which explained how this gentleman uh, realized he was having these what people call out-of-the-body experiences. But, but, but in any case, they're definitely different than a lucid dream, but, but they are kind of – make you realize on one level that awareness doesn't necessarily need a body to be aware. And you'll see this also in studies by remote viewers and things like that, that somehow, uh, you know, that, that somehow awareness apparently seemingly can exist uh, apart from the physical mechanism, but but anyway, that that's probably going a little bit further than you thought. But 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 that that's what happens when you start to explore dreams. Is that then you yeah. begin to branch out into related items, and OBEs are kind of one of those uh, related items. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that story actually because I, first of all, I just wanted to say what a cool brother. Because I think most, <laughs> most brothers would just be like, "Oh, should have go back to sleep." <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was I was really lucky because uh, what happens is if you go on to Lucid Dream forums now, you'll see people having they'll put a post up, Hor- horrifying Lucid Dream, uh-huh. and, and so what it'll be? Oh, I was falling asleep, and all of a sudden I began to feel this buzzing and humming. And then I was like floating out of my body and I'm, I'm sitting like, where is the definition of a lucid dream? Where is realizing within a dream that you're dreaming? I mean, it doesn't even meet the definition of a lucid dream, but, but these guys are, are saying that they think it's a lucid dream, but, but actually it's an OBE. But, but of course, everybody will learn as they go along. And thankfully, I had a brother who uh, was able to give me a heads up. Yeah, I like that. And before as well, when you when you mentioned that uh, the, the, you said buzzing, that's just so interesting because I actually had a float tank experience, and it was I think it was my second float tank experience, and uh, I actually had that same sensation where I felt it was a buzzing, and I instantly got this thought straight in my mind, 
and the thought that came in mind, it said that I'm not my body, and that's sort of similar to what you said as well, but that's so, it was just so fascinating, I thought I'd bring it up. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, a lot of people uh, mentioned that, that in float tank experiences, they, and some of these uh, deprivation experiences where they might put ping pong halves over your eyes and, and, and wrap you up so you can't sense, sense anything, which is the same as a float tank, uh, all of a sudden, people start to have these strange experiences, and and the thought that you know, that you know, my body's one thing, but but yeah. I I am not my body as a fundamental statement is is really a beautiful thought. Yeah, and it actually takes a lot of understanding about your mind and body to really realize that, and that takes a lot of skill. So, like, well done for noticing, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> and also not to get too freaked out by it too, because. I, I mean, our modern science just keeps telling us everything's material, everything's physical, there's nothing more to it. And, but dreams, sleep, these experiences like this are giving us a whole new insight that there's more There's more to what's going on here than just the physical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I remember most of my life, Robert, I've always had, like, these um, vivid dreams where I'm in them, and I can remember them far beyond when I've woken up. But I think there's only been one occurrence where I've actually had a lucid dream. And that was when I was I was just dreaming I was in an airport. And then I just suddenly clicked in the dream. I was like, wait a minute, I'm actually in an airport, but this is a dream. I know I'm in a dream. <laughs> and the weirdest, thing, the weirdest thing was, right, and I said, I'm going to prove this is a dream. So I looked out the window and I just seen a line of all these jumbo jets. And I just decided I want to turn them all upside down so I just spun them and just <laughs> landed and crashed and it was like wow I'm in a dream I'm in a real dream so I started like I messed with everything I changed the entire airport I was I was going through this wild thing but but then something really crazy happened right and I seen six people like sitting there watching us so I was thinking they're not in my dreams so I tried to change them but um, I couldn't change them and this was when the dream started getting a bit scary and I start, and they started coming towards and I, more and more I tried to change them I couldn't right. and and actually they were all becoming on top of us and suddenly I felt so small and I just said I need to wake up now I need to wake up so I woke up um, and I just couldn't move my body I was in a complete paral- yeah. sleep paralysis and I I was terrifying, and my girlfriend's looking at us, and I'm trying to scream at her <laughs> but I, no words could come out and then suddenly I just forced my body up and all I seen was the entire room was red and there was like this vision like of this something black just right in the middle of the room was staring at us and it was it was really creepy the dream was like it was um, it's just a dream I'm never going to forget to be honest oh, oh yeah and and that's another wonderful thing uh, this this thing of sleep paralysis and uh, you, you know it I, I'm a person who has a uh, uh, sleep paralysis about once every decade, so, so, so I've just had it like you know four times or something. But uh, but but as you find that in the, if you ever have sleep paralysis, so you're laying there in bed, you feel mentally awake and you feel like you're looking around or whatever, but your body is just paralyzed and just lying there in bed. And sometimes you have a feeling like something sitting on your chest, or maybe there's someone yeah. in the room or something like that. And so it can be kind of uh, scary, especially if you let your mind kind of run off with it and get freaked out, you'll make it even worse. But but the the thing to do, uh, if you if you're a person who has sleep paralysis a lot, is normally you realize if you just move your little finger or your toe, if you can just focus on one part of your body and move it, 
then normally that's enough to break the sleep paralysis. Uh, other people have told me that they have learned to relax. So if they start paying attention to their body or to their heart and just kind of relax, they can relax out of sleep paralysis. But but then I read a book by a guy, Ryan Hurd, and his last name is spelled H-U-R-D. Uh, he, he's a guy I've met at the International Association for the Study of Dreams. But he wrote a book called Sleep Paralysis because he had it all the time. And he said actually he learned how to move from sleep paralysis into a lucid dream. And he said, he said it's, it's really quite easy. So let's say you're laying there, you have sleep paralysis, you can't move, and you're kind of a little bit freaked out. But he said, if you can do this, if you can just start to vividly imagine that you're flying over your house or a nearby park or a nearby lake, just imagine yourself flying over the lake, flying over the lake, flying over the lake. He says, if you imagine it hard enough, then suddenly you'll find yourself lucidly aware you know, flying over the nearby lake. And so he, he said he learned how to use, you know, kind of the power of his imagination to shift out of sleep paralysis and into a lucid dream. And that was one way that, that he figured out how to do it. But but it's a it's a great experience to, to have one lucid dream. And, and, and actually, Dan, to, to flip over some uh, jumbo jets and all that kind of stuff sh- sh- seems to suggest to me that you have a lot more potential in lucid dreaming or, or, or have some earlier talents that you're not aware of, but 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 anyway, I, I hope you stay with it because uh, it does sound quite, <laughs> quite amazing that you were able to pull that off the first time. Yeah, it, t- it actually took me a lot of um, like understanding of it well because I was a lot frightened of it at first for a while. I didn't even want to tell anyone. Yeah. And eventually, eventually, like like we were just talking about dreams, and I just like mentioned it one day to them, and like they said, "Oh, check this out." And I checked it out, and it sounded like sleep paralysis. And like I read up everything about it, and I just thought, "Blue and that is exactly that type of dream." I, so it, it was an interesting like case. Like I was, I was just going to say as well, Robert. I think as well, um, just to jump in, I think as well, um, I think what Chris is talking about there, and you're talk, we're talking about all these different experiences, like of if like like sorry, like trying to contemplate in our minds, is this reality like a dream? I think at a certain point, people listening to this now will be thinking, "Well, if this is just a dream, like what's the point? Just wake us up." But I think I think as well something I thought about this, and I was telling Chris about this as well. But I really think that the next step, if we do just think that in your mind, I think the next step is just to appreciate the dream, and I think you've just got to like start loving the dream. Like, and if you think about it, we aren't in this dream for so long, so I think we've just got to like experience the dream. Like, we, and if you think about it, if this reality is a dream, I know this is going deep, but we can even we can even taste, we can touch, and we can have sex in this dream. <laughs> and the thing is as well, what I thought about as well. The beautiful thing is that we're all in this dream together, which is so funny, and we're gonna actually we're gonna actually leave an imprint on other people's dreams in the future by doing good. So I was thinking, I was said to Chris before, like if, if this is a dream, what a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I want to comment on what you said here because uh, in the Buddhist tradition, there's the idea of dream yoga, which kind of uses lucid dreaming as as one of the techniques of kind of a deep philosophical investigation, uh, not only of dream reality, but, but just reality in general. And, and, and the, one of the first things they do when people come to the three-year dream yoga monastery it, it, is the teachers tell them to perceive everything as like a dream, as dreamlike. Now, now here's the problem. Most of us would interpret that that oh if everything's a dream then everything's just kind of 
uh, imagination or everything's just kind of meaningless or everything has no, you know, it's just some fanciful whatever. But I think what they're trying to say when they say that everything is dreamlike, our waking reality is dreamlike, what they're trying to say is a dream is a mental creation. And your waking experience is also a mental creation. In this waking reality now, everything that I'm experiencing is coming through my senses, but it's being mentally mediated by my mind. My mind is deciding, you know, what's important, is kind of factoring everything in. And if you ever watch an example of someone under deep hypnosis, you know, all of a sudden, through the power of their mind, they're able to hallucinate, you know, someone else is in the room with them. Or there's two, two of their friends in the room, you know, because the hypnotist has, has got them into a state where they're able to believe it. And through the power of the mind, because the mind mediates all experience, they they act like it, they believe in it, and that sort of thing. And, and so, so I think that's what we got to get to first is when people say, you know, this experience is like a dream, or, or when the Buddhist dream yoga teachers say it, I think what they're really trying to get across is this point that everything goes through the mind, everything is a function of the mind, and so whether it's waking experience or dreaming experience, it all is a mental experience fundamentally. Mm, certainly. Um, Robert, as well, like something I want to touch on, and I find it so fascinating, like is the relation of DMT and dreams, and like how DMT is connected with dreams. And I know there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence on this one. Like, but what's your thoughts on it? You know, uh, so so I'm not a person who's who's ever experimented with uh, DMT, uh, uh, other than what my body is naturally producing, and, and so. So I don't have a lot of practical experience with it, but um, I, I have talked to some people who have, you know, told me about uh, experimenting with DMT and uh, some of the powerful experiences they've had, and uh, you know, it sounds like some of the kind of more advanced lucid dreams that I'd have. Uh, sometimes in some of these more experienced lucid dreams. Um, instead of interacting with objects and, and dream figures, uh, I would interact with light or geometric wow. forms. And, wow. and, and when people would tell me about some of their DMT experiences, it kind of sounded like they were kind of doing the same thing. So, so, so honestly, I don't know too much about DMT and, and what the actual experience is about. But, but I do know as you go deeper and deeper, into dream practice, like like lucid dreaming and stuff, so sometimes you find a lot of commonality with some of these experiences, and, and it makes me wonder if if they're kind of getting to the same source. Of course, the, the only problem with a chemical experience like that is that as soon as the chemical runs its course, you know, then you wake up or, or whatever, uh, or, or you're out of the experience. Uh, but but when you kind of learn to do it naturally, you kind of you know, gradually approach it, and and you kind of approach things in a different manner. Yeah, I, I think as well. I think as well. It's so interesting, like the correlation between DMT and like how what that, what role it plays in sleep. Because I'll actually come across something. The best evidence that I could I, I found actually was related to DMT playing a role in sleep was um, from a study by um, 
Do you know Rick Strassman? Right, right. Yeah, he, yeah. he wrote the book uh, DMT Spirit Molecule. Yeah, yeah. It's quite funny actually because we had a chat with him a few days ago and he actually said that he really liked your book, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I. Yeah, he oh, said he really liked your book. Oh, good grief. I'll, I'll have to send him a note. I, I didn't know he'd been reading my book. But it's interesting because uh, the, the, there's a lot of these things like uh, um, there's ayahuasca and and again, this is something that I've never experienced uh, myself, but Oftentimes when you go back and read some of these anthropological reports of people taking ayahuasca and just giving their first-person account, it sounds very much like a lucid dream, but, yeah. but kind of like a chemically-induced lucid dream. So it kind of forces you down a certain pathway. You know, Normally in a lucid dream, I can decide, oh, if I want to go there or there or fly or do whatever. But, but in, in an ayahuasca experience, it sounds like you're aware and you're, yeah. you're kind of going, you're kind of going along the path, but the chemicals are kind of taking you uh, uh, a little bit more so than than the other way around. And, yeah. and, and so, so, so well, when you talked to him uh, a couple of days ago, well, what, what more did he have to say about uh, DMT and dreams? Well, he didn't. He didn't really mention much about DMT and dreams. He just said that we had you on your going to have you on the podcast, and he just said that he really recommended your book. But um, but I know as well in his study he talks about because I've read him his study, but he talks about um for the first time that um a form of DMT was actually found in the pineal gland, and he talks about how a lot of people talk about actually how the um the pineal gland is thought to like play a role in um, regulating sleep cycles, which I thought is very interesting, and that's how obviously it ties together. I see. But, I see. Yeah, but it's it's really it's really fascinating. Oh, good. I'll, I'll have to read into this some more because uh, occasionally when I give workshops, people will bring up uh, DMT, and I'm just at a little bit of a loss. But uh, but having heard about some of the experiences, that they do remind me of some lucid dream experiences uh, that yeah, I definitely. and other people have had. Yeah, it is. It's. It's. I think it really is. It, it's so fascinating that like I really feel that there needs to be more research, like and focus on dreams as, as well. I really feel that. And I, and I know, like obviously, I know as well. If you talk to many like dream uh, researchers, they'll probably just tell you that the current technology can probably only do so much. But I really feel in the current time there seems to be. I know we're talking about like psychedelics and stuff, but the, in my view, there seems to be a lot more research even towards psychedelics, which I think's good. But I really think I still think there needs to be more like emphasis and more focus on dreaming. And I, I really think it's crazy how when you, if you think about it. Nearly everyone at some point, like we've been talking about in the lives, does dream. I mean, and if you think about it, it's right inside of us and it's right in front of our face. And I really feel that like we're really, like a lot of people, I know we're going deep into it today, but a, re- a lot of people aren't really like questioning and looking for new research. But I was wondering, like, why do you think like people are not, aren't researching dreams? Like, really should be? You know, um, in, in this whole area of dreams, uh, so, so there really hasn't been a good way of exploring dreams until the last uh, 30 years or so and the scientific discovery of lucid dreaming. Um, Now that we have lucid dreaming, that we have scientifically validated that people can become consciously aware in the dream state and and, uh, interact with the dream, you know, uh, now we have a way to kind of scientifically explore dreams from the inside instead of being on the outside. And, and, And so, so, but the other thing that makes it difficult, though, I think, and why people don't research it, is that, is that whenever you're interacting with dreams, 
then pretty soon you're interacting with the unconscious mind. And this unconscious mind of ours is much more strange and curious and fascinating and bewildering than we we give it credit to. I mean, a lot of people just kind of think of the unconscious as kind of the – kind of the junkyard of the waking mind you know where, where where does all your conscious experience go when you're done with it oh you just toss it into the unconscious so it's it's kind of like the rubbish heap or, or something like that and, and so so the problem is when people start to get into dream research and start to discover you know that well wait a second uh, uh people are getting information outside of space and time in dreams you know that the other researchers just do not want to hear it i mean it totally breaks down the, the materialist paradigm that kind of science is, is largely built upon. And, and so so researchers just almost hate to go there because it's, it's kind of like guilt by association. All of a sudden, they sound like they're, they're crazy people because they're talking about what happens in the unconscious. Now, the sad thing is, if they would read about what modern physicists are getting into – you know, with things like quantum entanglement and the observer effect and all this kind of stuff, that they would see that, that there's a connection between modern physics and the nature of the unconscious mind. But but most of them, you know, they're brought up in the psychological tradition and, and they're not brought up in the modern physics tradition. So So anyway, as society, we devalue dreams. Dreams lead to the unconscious. Strange stuff happens there, and that's why a lot of uh, scientists just keep their careers well away from the world of dreams and the unconscious. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Like Robert, I think it's something that will be good, like in the future as well. Like, and like maybe will help in the research of dreams is the advancement in technology, and technology will and will get to a point where we can do some incredible things with it. What do you think we may find out about um, dreams in the future? You know, I, I think you're you're right that that technology might bring us some incredible changes. Um, so, so like for example, in this area of lucid dreaming, um, uh, they're starting to come out with better and better ways to induce lucid dreaming, and, and so one one of the gates is, is biochemical. You know, they they might be able to come up with better and better uh, herbal supplements that might increase your likelihood of becoming lucid. So instead of it being just an infrequent thing that it might happen, you know, once a year or something, that, that a person who, who really ex- wanted to explore that path, you know, could, could pretty much uh, do it on demand. Um, that, that, then also um, that there's this other aspect of dreams in the future that, that I think we're going to find uh, uh, the parts of the brain that are involved in dreaming. And so they've already done some interesting studies on lucid dreaming where lucid dreamers uh, signal with their eyes they're lucidly aware, and then they'll have like a 19-channel EEG that's recording their brainwave activity. Um, in one case, they had a gentleman in an fMRI, and he had on special uh, headsets and stuff so he wouldn't wake up that, that they had the machine on. But, uh, but, but now they begin to see, oh, wow, these parts of the brain are lighting up when a yeah. person is consciously aware. And, and so in one of the studies, uh, the, the scientists called lucid dreams a hybrid state of consciousness because the dreaming part of the brain and some parts of the conscious, normally wake part of the brain were simultaneously active. 
and they'd never ever seen a state of consciousness like that before where the dreaming mind and part of the waking mind were simultaneously active. So so I think in the future, dreams are going to bring us a lot of stuff. It's it's going to, if we get into lucid dreams more, we'll be able to access creativity. I think we'll be able to confirm that there's an inner self in there somewhere, a, a deeper uh, awareness, a larger awareness. And, and finally, we'll be able to use dreams uh, for like emotional healing and psychological healing and physical healing, uh, which is something that the ancients were doing, but we'll kind of discover the scientific reasons of how they went about it. So, so I think there's a bright future for dreams. It, it's just we got to get there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the more we talk about this, the more we all are going to get there together, and that's what's beautiful about it. And Robert, I think um, it's so interesting, like all these angles and like different dimensions, like to the conversation on dreams or the dream state, like whatever we want to call it. Like, and we all could all really like geek out in this stuff all day. Like, and it's so fascinating. But I think we'll wrap part one up for the day. Like, and it's been a great conversation. But I think when you do next come back on at the podcast. We'll dig more into lucid dreaming or the state of being more consciously aware. But if you could just let the listeners know where they, where they can find your work and if they maybe want to delve deep into your book and work before you next come back onto the podcast, please. Yeah, so um, to read more about my books, just go to my book website, uh, lucidadvice.com. So that's lucidadvice.com. And there you can read about my books and also see what kind of online workshops I'm doing or some of my uh, talks. Uh, like I'll be out in Ireland, uh, like October, the last weekend in October here in 2016, uh, doing a workshop on lucid dreaming. Also, uh, we have a free online magazine uh, that my friend Lucy Gillis in Canada and I have created the last 15 years. It's called The Lucid Dreaming Experience. And so if you go to dreaminglucid.com, you can find the current issue of the magazine plus about 10 years uh, worth of issues. And in that magazine, we interview experienced lucid dreamers, we get articles, and then we also just let our, our readers uh, submit their own lucid dreams because uh, the more you read about lucid dreaming, the more fascinating you find it. But, but that's how to keep track of me. And uh, and Chris and Dan, it's, it's, it's super great to be talking to you, and I look forward to yeah, talking to you again about lucid dreaming. Yeah, definitely. We yeah. we kind of wait to dig back into your mind again because it's been an absolutely amazing conversation today, it hasn't it? Has, like, it's been incredible. But thank you again so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys, for taking time out your day to boost your consciousness. But guys, we really need your help. If you're loving the podcast, please pop over and leave us a review and tell us what you think. And also, don't forget to head over our website at ascendbodymind.com and check out our amazing gallery of other great episodes. Thank you and have a great day and join us next week in the next episode. Peace 